Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to Studying the Song. Today's episode is a super special one because today is the first interview on the podcast. Yes, I had the great pleasure of sitting down with the inimitable Catherine Lounsbury, who's a good friend of mine and a colleague, and she has created a very unique career for herself. And she has so much wisdom to offer to performers that are coming up and making their own paths right now. If you don't know Catherine, here's a little bit more about her. Catherine is a Los Angeles-based pianist, vocal coach, educator, comedian, music director, composer, and arranger. She's worked alongside entertainment industry greats, including David Foster, Jim Brickman, Evan Rachel Wood, Aubrey Plaza, Travis Barker, Kathy Najimi, and Charlotte Ray, to name a few. She's also been a music coach for HBO, Showtime, and ABC series. As a comedian, Catherine has featured on NBC's Last Comic Standing and has appeared at The Laugh Factory, The Improv, and has headlined at the world-famous Comedy Store. She's toured the country with her solo show, Catherine Lounsbury Presents Catherine Lounsbury, and her comedy videos have garnered millions of views and have been shown at film festivals around the world. I know you're going to get so much out of hearing what she has to say, so without any further ado, here is my conversation with Catherine. Catherine Lounsbury, welcome to Studying the Song. I'm so glad that you are on this show today. I'm so glad to get to ask you all the questions that have been burning in my heart since I first met you at AMDA College in Hollywood, I don't know, 2012? Uh, Yes, because I started in the fall of 2011, and I think you came like my second semester. Shortly thereafter. Well, I wanted to interview you on the show because you are a true multi-hyphenate artist and you are somebody that has created a very unique path for yourself based on your skills and your interests and your passions. And I think that's so important for singers, but all performers to hear about right now, because there's this like sense that you have to get to Broadway in order to make it, or you have to become like a mega star commercial music artist like Beyonce in order to make it and feel successful. But there's actually like so many other ways to be a successful artist and make a living off of being an artist. So I just introduced you, but again, you are a music director, a vocal coach, a classical pianist, a stand-up comedian, a guitar player, and wonderful friend and all-around gal. So I want to just like start with how did you get to combining classical music and stand-up comedy? Like 
what in your mind said that that would be okay or a good idea? Like as a classical pianist, you're not often thinking like, I want to talk on stage. You're like playing the piano. So share a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I think like the the short answer is that I had to give myself permission to do it. And in hindsight, I sort of can't believe how long it took me to realize I could. Um, But I think a lot of us get typecast, right? It's not just for actors and singers. It's for musicians or, or really any career or any discipline. And I think... I was always very good at piano, and early on, I was just sort of the pianist, right? Like in grade school, Catherine plays piano, and then I was like, oh yeah, I play piano. That's my identity, that makes me feel confident, it makes me feel special. And I rode that wave all the way through grad school, (laughs) because I was like, I play piano. And it's not to say that I didn't derive joy from it, but I think slowly what started to happen after grad school and into my professional life is I realized it wasn't actually making me feel alive and fulfilled. It was more of a profession. It was like a trade, certainly with fun aspects and all that, but like it wasn't bringing me deep creative fulfillment. And I had always loved comedy and I had always loved, especially just like one woman shows, you know, like Lily Tomlin, um, I loved watching Ellen DeGeneres' comedy specials, um, Saturday Night Live, you know, Bette Midler, just powerful women just doing things. And I realized that that really appealed to me, but I was scared because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I didn't want to be a stand-up comedian per se. And so it was like 2000, gosh, 12, I think, and I, right around when I met you, and I sort of, I had a revelation one morning, and it was after I saw one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it was a Duke Ellington quote that says, I don't need time, I need a deadline. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Okay. And I was like, okay, so if I want to do some weird show, I just need to set a date, and so I did. I booked a date at a club. Um, M bar, which is no longer around in Hollywood. I booked a date. I gave myself three months and I created a show and it just sort of was stuff that made me happy that I thought was interesting. And it kind of blended stories and comedy and playing piano. Um, and I, and I would say it was really that deadline. And then also realizing that I didn't have to fit any kind of a mold. And to this day, I don't really have any, sort of like examples of what I do like there's no one that I could point to and say oh I'm just like this performer which has been hard actually Mm. (laughs) because I can't like I can't model what I want to do after anybody um so in in some ways that's really hard for me but it also there's a lot of freedom in it and if you just kind of let yourself into the abyss of creativity and just say well I'm just gonna see where my heart takes me where my creative heart takes me. Um, that's where the f- real fulfillment comes. So not having somebody as like an example to look at, it really means that you have to trust your intuition and yourself on that journey. Has that been pretty natural? Have you been tuned into that as a performer or is that something that you had to learn or is it something you're still learning and navigating? 
luckily that part came pretty easily to me because I had a, a confidence in like whatever tickled me. I was like, well, surely this will tickle someone else. And if not, I at least want to feel tickled. This is becoming a weird analogy. (laughs) But you're satisfied in the doing of it yourself, which I think is what, you know, it's like when we're auditioning for things or we're trying to achieve, it's like we're looking as the outsider at us so many times. Like, I need to do this because that's how people are seeing me. And then I will feel good because they feel good. But you have to erase that and say, no, I'm going to do what makes me feel good. And even if people hate it, at least I like what I'm doing. Yeah, it's right. And it's that weird counterintuitive thing of the reverse is true. So if I'm, if I could drop my other favorite quote for you, because these are the quotes that like, for me, guide everything. So this is by Howard Thurman, who's a preacher, like in South Carolina. But this is the quote that also changed me. And this is what guides my teaching and my coaching. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. So don't ask what the world needs. Don't say like, oh, people like it when I do this. Everybody in my class loves it when I belt. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Oh, secretly, I love reggaeton. Makes you come alive and then go do it because actually what the world really needs they need people who've come alive right they need people who are living in their authenticity whatever that weird quirky or or more mainstream thing is whatever like floats your boat do that you're going to be more fulfilled and the world is going to see it and appreciate it people know authenticity they really do wow that quote is so powerful and I've been getting at it from a different way, but I love that idea that you have come alive and the world actually needs you to be your best, your best self, because that means that you're more generous in your life because you're more fulfilled and you're less competitive and you're helping other people up and grabbing their hands and lifting them up with you rather than feeling like you have to step on people to to get that thing out that the world is going to want from you. That just totally shifts it. How I've been thinking of it is following your fascination and saying, what? Like, I'm a person that has the word should, like, in my heart, and I've been trying to get it out of my heart. Like, you should do this, and you should not do that. And it's been a journey to peel that away and be able to say, I'm really interested in this right now. And that's different than what I used to be interested in and have become known for. And is it okay to follow this new thing? And every time I try to force myself down the should direction, I feel stressed out. I feel pressured. I'm not as good of a a wife and a mom. I don't have time for people because I'm like, no, I have to do this. But when I follow, when I follow that fascination, the thing that like is making me light up or come alive, like you said, I'm at ease And when I'm done with my work, I feel fulfilled. And now I can go be a mom and like give there. It's, it's so, so right on what that quote is. Thurman was the person's last name. Howard, Howard Thurman. And I love follow your fascination. And I think too, I mean, this is studying the song, but you know, you and I are both pianists. You know, we've done a lot of accompanying work and music directing. And I think that's especially hard for us because I think there's like an innate nature 
of collaborative pianists to serve. And so that was always really hard for me when I was doing more of that type of work. I wanted to give, 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 give. And then it became um, kind of awful for me, actually, mm-hmm. emotionally, because I was totally not paying attention to what I needed, what made me come alive. Yeah, there's this sense of supporting someone else's vision as that role, as the, the accompanist. Um, yeah, I totally get you on that. And that's like, you've got to have, maybe that is part of your job. And then you have to find those other creative projects that are going to feed your soul and that are, you know, your thing for yourself. So you are an outstanding vocal coach and you talked about, um, how you created your show for yourself. And this is related because you also have a vocal coaching or cabaret series where you're teaching other people how to put together a show. So I just want to know like what, maybe let's start with for yourself. What was that process like? How did you go about saying, I want to put together, it's like a 90 minute show or 75 minute show. I don't know what it was. Was it stories? How did you pick what music to choose? Like, what are some things that, um, I don't know, you found were helpful for you? Luckily, the answer to that, uh, the answer for me and for my singers and participants in Authenticity and Badassery is exactly the same. It's no different. So basically, I created Authenticity and Badassery because I was noticing a lot of people wanted to do their own shows, but it's very daunting. I mean, man, there's there's so much that goes into it um, logistically and creatively, but then the emotion, right? Of mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. I don't know what it is. No one will come. There, there's a million questions. So I thought, because I do have a an educator soul, I just thought, I want to give people a deadline. And that's actually what sort of created that for me. Basically, what authenticity and badassery is, it's for four participants, and everybody creates a three-song slash story arc. And so they do a mini cabaret set at the now-closed L.A. Rockwell, which I'm so sad about. Um, but it was great, you know, like this great cabaret club, and they could take those baby steps towards creating a show. So basically what I tell people, and this is always the hardest part of the process, I say, well, you're just going to start with two lists. And they don't have to make any sense. You're going to make a list of songs that make you come alive and a list of stories you want to tell. Don't judge it. Don't think of an arc. And that's the hard part. People are always like, well, I have to go from point A to point B to point C. And my belief is, no, you don't. You are the guiding post of your story. You're the through line. So it doesn't have to be like this perfect arc you know or the hero's journey it's just what makes you come alive and so there's always a lot of kind of like like weed whacking in the beginning because people say well everyone's going to expect that I sing this song because I'm known for it and then I'll say well do you like it and then they're kind of like no and then I find out oh you you actually like let's look at your Spotify playlist you actually like all these songs none of them are on your list I don't know it's like they put on like a professional hat well this is what I should do when in actuality like we were just saying what you should do is what makes you come alive right follow your fascination you know and so finally we start to whittle down the songs And then they have to sing them because sometimes you can love a song, but you don't love singing it. So they have to actually sing them. And then we just organically talk about the stories. What stories might you want to tell? 
you know, and a lot of times people gravitate towards the dark and the sad, which is fine. That happens. But then they also realize that they can tell fun stories. And I also encourage participants to tell sort of future stories, meaning let's turn this last song into a pep rally for yourself. You know, we heard song number one. We heard song number two about your past or things that made you who you are. Song number three could be about what do you want in the future, right? Looking ahead, what do you see for yourself? And then it kind of becomes this amazing, like, onstage public affirmation of looking into the future, right? And 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 kind of, like, stating your goals publicly. Um, so it it's a very, very organic process. And all I have to do is just pay attention to their reaction, right? It's so simple, but it's so hard. Does this song make you come alive? Does this story make you come alive? And I've had people come forward with, like, their big tragic story in their life. And we all know this feeling of sometimes we go on autopilot with those stories. And a lot of times people say, you know, "Ah, I'm done telling that story. That story doesn't define me anymore. And then it's just such a beautiful, like, evolution of moving ahead to what I call, like, those future stories. It's sort of like having... There's like the first movie that everybody, like you got to introduce the characters and this is the journey, blah, blah, blah. And you're saying, okay, well, you've done the first movie enough. What's the sequel? What's the next part of the story? Like the smaller moments that maybe don't get as much light shown on them. How can you tell those stories? And that can be nice. Cause like you said, like you've told the other story a lot. I want to tell something fresh that I haven't explored yet and connect songs that maybe aren't as obvious. I Everything you just said is making me want to make my own cabaret show. (laughs) The idea of having two lists and not judging it, like that just sounds like a fun exercise. I don't even know where it would go, but now it's like a creative exercise I want to do and just be like, what are the songs that make me come alive? And what are the story? Like, what do I remember? I've been kind of thinking about this because as you know, when you're on like the Instagram and all that kind of stuff, you're supposed to be like storytelling in your captions. This is all the the BS influencer content creator stuff that, you know, you kind of have to learn and talk about, but I listen to podcasts about it and they're like, to think about like, just pick a decade or like a grade level or something that you were at and think like, what are the things, what are the memories that you have? What stands out at that time? And don't think of your whole life. Just say like, when I was in high school or whatever it might be, I remember these things. And then just say, this is what happened, A, B, C, D. And then how did I feel when that was happening? And then did I have, did I learn a lesson from that thing? Because there's some reason that you remember it still, that it's sticking out to you. And that that was one way to just generate these story ideas, like start with a memory and then go deeper into the context of what happened and how it changed you afterwards. So that's, I don't know why I'm talking about this, just something that was related that I, again, I think is a fun, creative writing exercise just to start getting your brain thinking in that direction. Well, and, and you just, I love that actually. I went to third grade. I don't know. I no specific thing, but I was like, third grade feels formative. Um, but you just said something really important, which is how did it make you feel? And when I'm working with singers on creating their patter, that's the big thing. People get very into narration. This happened, this happened, this happened. And then 
at the very end, I always say you need to have an I feel statement. And it made me feel. So often we forget that. But that to me is sort of the magic formula. So how that must lead into the song, I'm assuming, right? And is the song the encapsulation of that feeling? Or how do they connect the song with the story? So it's kind of a magical part of the process. And all I can tell you, I've done 13 of these shows now. Um, not including like private clients I've had or the work I've done at AMDA. So a lot. And it just always works out. When you're connected and you've, you've picked a story and you've picked a song that have made you come alive, it works. And that's it, friends. Make sure, <laughs> make sure that it makes you come alive. That's the, the litmus test is what does it do? Is it like that full body? Like, Ooh, yes. Like I'm, I'm turned on by this, like not in a sexual way, but turned on, like energy starts flowing or is it something that just sort of makes you shut down? I love that. And you don't, and the audience doesn't even have to know everything you're feeling at every moment. If they see that you're connected, they will lean in. They will feel connected to you. They will feel connected to themselves. They will have that magical feeling of, everybody experiencing authenticity in a room at the same time. Um, I think you just hit the nail on the head that they don't have to know what you're feeling. It's more about you being aligned. And this is sort of a side note, but what I see about so many performers, again, is that they're going from the outside in. They're trying to get a response from the audience. They're trying to do the thing that they think will make the audience be thrilled Um, And so you end up with a lot of performers that don't have their own point of view that are not truly in sync and in the moment of their performance. And then when somebody comes along that is, you're just blown out of the water. That I think is the authenticity, right? It's the, um, you again, doing what feels right for you and not worrying at all about the other people in the room. Yeah. And if I can comment on you, when you said it, when you talked about people being authentic, you actually did this like beautiful hand gesture, which you can go back and watch, but you actually gestured to yourself because people do think, what does the world need? I have a pet peeve on social media. I have several, as you know, we've probably discussed them. They're really stupid. Um, But this one is actually cuts to the heart of what I'm talking about with artistry. I don't like it when people say, hey, guys, um, I want to start recording some covers. What songs do you want to hear me sing? I want to throw my laptop across the room when I see that. Which my gosh, is- yes. Okay, I have the same response, and I never knew why, and this is why. Keep going. Yeah, uh, you know, I should probably look at that anger, number one. But it's it's But it does, I'm so such a fervent believer in this don't ask what the world needs and it's somebody asking what the world needs and it's like no and I think you know Hamilton is such a great example nobody wanted Hamilton nobody right it makes no sense on paper hey I'm writing a musical um about a founding father oh which one Hamilton who well why don't you write it about Lincoln that makes more sense. No, I'm just going to do Hamilton. Oh, and it's going to be like, there's no dialogue. It's all going to be like rap and hip hop. And we're going to have a super diverse cast. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense. 
but it made him come alive. You know, he did not write, Lin-Manuel did not write on Facebook, hey, who, what historical figure do you guys want to see me write a musical about? Nobody would have said Hamilton, by the way. <laughs> I have never thought about it in those terms, but you're exactly right. So it's the greatest example. So when people say, what should I sing? It's like, what I want to say is, oh my God, like, what do you, what like secret thing do you do? What do I not know about you? You know, that you're going to blow me away with. And it's the same thing with, um, with, uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but something you said before reminded me of it. This overemphasis of belting in the last few years, belting, belting is impressive. I cannot tell you how unimpressed I am with belting. It does nothing for me. Do you know what does something for me? When people are quiet. Oh, yeah. Important their phrases. When maybe they give me a little belt, but I want more. And that's actually something I tell people in their auditions. Like if they have a song that's, you know, has a ton of belting in it, I say, what if you just save it for this one spot? Because the director, the music director, they're, they're, they'll know right away you can do it. So why don't you show them the 15 other colors you have in your voice while you're at it? Okay, you have transitioned totally to what I want to talk about next. You're a genius at this. Um, I want to talk about auditioning. I am 100% on the same page about belting. I also think that when you go back and listen to the original artists singing many of the Broadway songs that we know and love, they're not belting all the time, and they have turned into belting songs, including what's the Little Mermaid song? Um, I don't know, girl. Part of your world. Y'all, Jody Benson didn't belt hardly a note in that song. And now everybody thinks that they're supposed to be a pop diva when they do it. I'm not on that train. But auditioning, showing vocal colors. The, you said the, the music director will know whether you can sing it. So this is so interesting because I find that like what's going on behind the table, actors really have no clue like the discussions that we're having with the director or, you know, if we, I've had to play a lot of auditions that I've been the music director for, which is a pain in the butt. But um, if you get an accompanist, you kind of have little moments where you connect and you're like, was that the D? Oh yeah. They're doing the original key. Great. But because you know, the song, you know, the rep, you know what the note is. You already know. I think people need to pay more attention to the first five notes of the song that are in the lower part of their range that are starting the story, right? If they're starting in a, in a, in a key like that, but I just feel like people give away so much of the song and then they say, this is the important part where I'm shouting at you. So, I mean, let's just talk about what are we looking for as music directors? What is the thing that makes us say, oh, I want to follow that person in this show. I want them to tell me the story. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think like, remember that the people behind the table, though they feel scary and like the establishment, they're a bunch of weird creatives too. So that's number one. So what I'm looking for is obviously like, of course, check the boxes. Are you a capable musician? You have to be. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. I'm Once I know that, I'm good. What I'm looking for, I want to see that you have a spark. I want to see that you follow what makes you come alive. I, I love it when people seem a little weird. <laughs> or odd because to me that's somebody I can work with right and we can find something new and something interesting um and so like you said the first five notes I love that bring us in 
right? Wouldn't it be amazing if someone started an audition by singing in their low register and allowing space and, and not, you know, sometimes I have people do an exercise where you only hold a note as long as the syllable of the word, right? Which is kind of hard to do. Sometimes it takes a few times, but to notice how much you're holding notes for, for not necessarily a good reason, maybe there's some good reasons, right? But to play with it that way, to find the playfulness in the song. Because once I know you can belt, then I want to know how's your lower register? How's your acting? How's your diction? Can you play with tempo? Can you back phrase? You add interesting articulations. Are you connected with the song? You know, are you acting? All that good stuff. I want to see all the other things. I, I agree. I was just watching, um, this was like from, I don't know, 2014 or 13, the Kennedy Center Honors for Shirley MacLaine. And who was in a sweet charity, right? And the role of charity is not a big singer. It's not very high. And she sings a song, um, if my friends could see me now, right? And Patina Miller comes out and sings that bit of the song. Who Patina Miller just pop, you know, was the um the leading player in Pippin several years ago and a female singing a role that was usually a male, so it was like a big coup, which was awesome. So she comes out and sings. And I know all of the things that Patina Miller can do with her voice, but I swear she sang between a C, middle C, and a G pretty much for the, her, I don't know, 16 or 32 bars in this medley. And you could tell just from that how amazing of a singer she was. Like if I just heard her sing, if they could see me now, that's it. I'm Slade. I know you're a Broadway performer because of the support, because of the eye, the, like the aliveness in the eyes and the tautness in the body, everything about how she was performing. And I just like, I want people to have to do like a four bar audition cut and nothing that they can sing is above a B. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you show me that you are a lead, a leading role material, but only sing below a B? I can't tell you how much I love that. And, and, and if somebody was capable of that, it would show that they've done the work, that they're a master of their instrument. They haven't just been practicing belting. They've been practicing all the other things. And it's so funny when you were just telling that story, right? It actually, the story made me lean in. And I had that, I had like a physical feeling of wanting more. And that's the other thing I tell singers when I'm coaching them, you know, there, there is something about making that audition panel want to hear more. Yes. Don't put it all on the table. Like maybe the role requires a belted or mixed D, but your song is only a C. Well, that's what a callback's for, right? I'm going to call you back because you are singing in a part of your voice that feels so connected and effortless and you have mastery over. And now I want to hear you on the other material. If you know it's a D, but you can't sing a D very well, or you don't have it today because you're sick, don't come in and sing the song with the D just because you think you should. Like, show me you singing at your best. And then another thing that people don't think about, the director, they don't care what notes you can hit. You don't know how many times I've had to be like, I don't think that person can sing the score. And the director's like, let's call him back. <laughs> you guys, like, come on show your acting, show your vocal colors, show your choices, show 
your aliveness, right? Your presence with the material. Don't worry about the high notes because the director doesn't know how to read music. All they know is the feeling that you're giving them when you're performing. That's it. It's exactly right. I sometimes liken it to flirting, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're flirting with someone, you don't say, I find you very attractive and would like to see you again sometime. (laughs) That's balding, right? What do you do when you flirt, right? Your voice is sort of like, like, like there's, there's pauses, right? You're like, Hey, I don't know. Do you like, do you want to like hang out some, like, you know what I mean? You get like, and so, and it's that feeling of giving away a little bit. And then the other person is like, Oh, what, what do you ask? You know what I mean? It's like a little dance and it makes you want more. And so this idea of just focusing on high notes is so boring. I could care less. And I, I love your four bar audition. <laughs> brilliant because I I mean the the eight bar audition exists for when it's like super short I've never been in one where it was an eight bar audition but I know you know people that have been in New York for a long time have them um and everybody just picks the highest note they're like well here's the last eight bars of the song where I'm singing a high high C because it's show me now whatever from my fair lady that was a terrible vocal example sorry yeah show me the eight bars that's the juiciest Right. Or have have your high note. And of course, you're, you know, you're an accomplished singer. So you've practiced that high note. But then revel in showing everything else that you can take your time. That silence doesn't scare you. You know, show everything else and then you'll stand out. Revel in everything else. That is such a good word. How different of an audition room would it be if every singer came in and they were reveling in their performance. If they thought, this is the song that makes me come alive. This is the part of my voice that shines. And I'm here to have a moment with you. Yeah. And it, and it's it's the idea of you're your own superpower, right? Because if everybody, if they see everybody that day and everyone can hit the D and everyone is, you know, physically right for the role or whatever they're looking for, what's going to get you the job. It's going to be everything else that only has to do with you. Right. And, and kind of circling back to when I work with singers on their patter, I really work with people on like being specific, having details. You don't just say like years ago I had a breakup and I was so sad and it changed me, but now I'm better. Well, there's about 5 billion people that, how many people are in the world? I don't know. Anyway, a lot of people could say that story, right? So what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, could anybody else tell this story? And if the answer is no, you're doing it right. So you have to give specifics. You have to give names. You have to paint the scene. You know, when I was, um, when I was in like third grade, I was on the playground and I was wearing brown corduroy pants, I remember. And I was alone because I was an introvert. I had friends, but I like super loved being alone too. And I remember I was kicking the wood chips and I had a bowl cut. And these two girls came up to me. One was wearing a pink jacket. One was wearing an orange jacket. This is in Wisconsin. So we're wearing like 1980s jackets. And they said to me, I think they pitied me. (laughs) Even though I was just like being a a little cancer, enjoying being in my shell. And they said, we'll play with you, but you have to tell us if you're a boy or a girl. Now, I kind of, the story is the story. But the reason I tell it is, were you picturing it? 
I saw everything crystal clear. Anybody else tell that story? About- I mean, I I don't think so. No, with the orange jacket and the purple jacket or the pink, whatever. I've already forgotten. I apologize. But I'm the orange and the pink and the wood chips and the brown corduroy. And they asked me this specific question. So it's like, and that's sort of like a small moment, but it's so specific to me. No one else can tell that story. So like with your talents as a singer, what, what makes you, you, what's your superpower show that that's what they want to see. That's who they want to work with. Also side note. And we've barely talked about this. How good are you going to feel as a singer? when you have been your authentic self in an audition room? So much better. I mean, you don't have to go in with fear and trepidation and all the weight of the world of like, should I have chosen this? And should I have worn this? And how am I going to stand out from all the other people? There's so much in the mind as an artist. And you mentioned this when you were talking about creating a show. There's like all the logistics and the music, but the emotional journey that you're going on. And I feel like auditioning is just like one of the hardest things that a person could do. Like you're going out, putting yourself on the line and having to prove yourself. Or I'm a singer and I have a collection of songs that make me feel so good. And I'm just going to come in and sing one of them for you. And then if you think I'm the right fit, let's have another meeting. But if not, I've got other stuff that I'm also working on. I love that because it empowers the singer, which is which is how it should be. Do you guys want to work with me and my talents? Because I, I, I would love to be available for it. But if you think I'm not right, I would not. I don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> I don't want to be in a in a situation where you think I'm not right, because that literally is a hell, a personal hell for me. <laughs> on that note, let's talk about what you're working on now during the pandemic. Um, you stopped doing authenticity and badassery cabaret series. Um, sadly Rockwell has closed as you said. Um, but hopefully, I mean, new venues are going to be popping up and that's amazing. And I'm excited to see where that goes, but you started teaching online piano, yeah, not doing vocal coaching stuff and not doing cabaret. And I just want to ask, like, how is that going? you have so many singers that you know. So singers are taking your class and learning how to play. And I'm seeing clips of them posting on Instagram of them accompanying themselves and singing songs. Can you just share like, why did you want to do this? What are these singers getting out of this experience? Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that, you know, everybody has feelings about the piano. (laughs) This is, and I'm sure you know this too, you know, and I I never, when people ask me what I do, I I still don't know what to say. But if I do my sort of go-to answer of I'm a pianist, inevitably, I hear the story of, oh, we inherited my great aunt's upright piano and I don't play it and I feel guilty every day. Or I wish I, I wish I had stuck with piano or I wish my parents had given, I mean, it's, and you become, I sometimes joke that I'm like a piano psychiatrist because people just, they have to share these big feelings about the piano. And in the last few years, I've kind of pivoted to, I have some, some piano students and I've pivoted to just adults. And the thing with adults is they just want to play, right? We don't have to go through the exercises unless they lead to something of value. And so I started to realize that I had these really useful nuggets and way to get people to just play because that's the goal. They're not trying to be concert pianists. They're not trying to win their regional 
piano competitions. They just want to sit down and play a Steely Dan song. So can't can't we just do that for people? And to like, you know, full circle, that's what makes them come alive, right? They they want to play what makes them come alive. So I just sort of started developing slowly these these classes. I started with a level one chords class where I just taught like people the basic formula to making major and minor chords. Because once you know that, you can open up any piece of music, provided it has chord symbols, and you can play it, you know? And then I added like a level two chords. And then I've added um, a level three chords, chord inversions, a jazz boot camp, uh, a sort of like composition creation class. And then I'm starting this new series called Piano Bar, where I'm actually going to teach anywhere from like five to like 10 songs in one session. Because I've what I've done is I've researched and I've found songs that have the same chords. And so I'll teach you ways to play those same chords that work in each of the songs. And it's been so great because it just cuts to what people want. It's just the good stuff. And and why why shouldn't we have that? You know? And and what's interesting about it is sometimes people, I find that they get a little punitive with piano. They're like, well, shouldn't I shouldn't I be learning more theory? I'm like, well, you're actually learning it by just playing right now. And, and here's what it is. You know, but shouldn't I be doing, shouldn't I be doing this? And it's, a, it's an interesting mindset that people have. Um, I don't know why they want to, like, punish themselves at the piano. So I think there's this, like, the old school p- like piano teachers that were harsh and were strict, and that was why they quit, right? So they have that ingrained that, like, well, if I'm going to get back into it, then I need to really take it seriously. So there's that. But I love that you said you're learning it by doing it. Like we don't need to talk about it. Let's just experience it first. Right. And I have been super into learning about Kodai music education. And this is going to be super nerdy for a second. So just bear with me, everybody. Um, It's all about experiencing music kinetically. So physically, and then analyzing it orally, what do I really hear? And then making your own representation visually before you ever look at a staff, before anybody tells you what a note is, you're just saying, hmm, this is kind of like a heartbeat, this steadiness. And when I sing, I'm singing one word on that that pulse of that heartbeat. And then eventually it leads to like, oh, that's a quarter note because there's one quarter note on one beat. But the idea of taking people through the experience of the music and the experience of the theory, I mean, that's how we learn. I don't, I don't understand why we hand out a music theory book for a theory class in college and we say, let's read about music theory. That doesn't work. It's all so esoteric and abstract. It's like, okay, we're going to sit in a circle and let's sing a song where we're all patting on our lap. And you're going to improvise, hello, my name is Corey, right? And you're going to go around. You guys, I told you it's going to get nerdy for a second. So the fact that you're just saying, experience these chords, play them like this, sing with that, and now you're building this catalog of feelings with it, right? And then now play the chord like this and sing with it. Oh, that, that is different. Oh, well, this is called a root inversion, and this is called a first inversion. See, those really have a different feel instead of, the opposite where you're just teaching from the outside in outside in should be like the name of our podcast today i think it is Done. So, good you know it's it's 
when you were just saying that, it's so interesting about like college theory classes or whatever. It would be like going to cooking school and not cooking and like reading about. So when you add salt and lemon to a recipe, it adds an acidic and bright flavor. Well, why wouldn't you just be in the kitchen with lemon and salt and taste it yourself? Now I'm hungry. That's it. You totally summed it all up. Well, and that's what's wrong with current college music education programs. But especially, and this is just a, a little tirade of my own, the poor musical theater major that has to go to the music building to take their theory class. And they're like, I just want to sing, let it go, which hopefully they don't. It's something more cool than that. But um, I just want to sing this and be able to understand what I'm doing. And they're like, here's music theory fundamentals. Let me tell you about, right? Well, and here's what's so broken about that. Then these singers graduate and they pay people like you and me to plunk their notes from there for them. So, and hey, as much as I love the income, I'd be a lot happier if they could leave school knowing how to read music, basic music, plunk your notes, and then hire me to work on the good stuff, the yummy stuff, the fun stuff. But the idea that they're graduating without that, that is such a, it's such a crime. It's a shame. Yeah. I feel you on that. Um, if people want to work with you, follow you, take your classes, where can they find you? Sure. So my website is that pianogirlcat.com and cat is K-A-T. There you can message me. You can also see the full schedule of my classes. They're class descriptions. There's the calendar. You can book the classes there. And right now I'm averaging about four classes a week all 75 minutes long and they're just $25. I try to keep it super affordable. Perfect. That piano girl cat.com and on Instagram. Yep. Awesome. Um, I'm sure that people are going to be reaching out to you. Uh, you are just a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for being on the podcast today and I will see you soon. How amazing is Catherine? She just, she just distills things down to such simple terms about what makes you come alive and needing a deadline and leaving people wanting more so that they lean in. I just I had such a great time talking with Catherine. Here are the takeaways. Number one, I don't need more time. I need a deadline. Number two, let yourself into the abyss of creativity and see where your heart takes you. That's where the real fulfillment comes. Number three, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who've come alive. Number four, in your cabaret show, consider telling future stories. What do you want in the future? What do you see for yourself? Number five, it's okay to be done with telling a story to say this story doesn't define me anymore. Number six, don't get lost in narrating your stories. Tell the audience how you felt about what happened. Number seven, if the audience sees that you're connected, they will lean in. They'll feel connected to you. They'll feel connected to themselves. They will have that magical feeling of everybody experiencing authenticity in a room at the same time. Number eight, leave the director and the audition panel wanting more. Number nine, sing your high note, but revel in showing everything else as well. Revel in your performance. Number 10, when it comes to banter, be specific. Ask yourself, could anybody else tell this story? And if the answer is no, then you're doing it right. 
I hope you found this helpful today. If you are interested in finding out more about Catherine, you can look at the show notes. They are at coreyamaoka.com forward slash podcast and just look for this episode and all the information will be there. If you think someone else might find today's conversation helpful, go ahead and send them the link, take a screenshot and just share it with them so that they can take a listen for themselves. Um, that is it for today. I'm so glad to be here with you. I know you have a million other ways you could be spending your time and I'm so glad that we get to spend some of it together. I will see you next time on studying the song.